The following episode of Fofop is rated MA. It contains alternating hosts, a rotating roster of guests, and mild course language. Fofop advises that it is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15, or anyone who came here looking for one of those highbrow NPR-type podcasts. Minors must be accompanied by a parent or guardian. This is John Deeg speaking. Welcome to Fofop. I'm Charlie Clawson, and my guest this week is a man you may know as the Confess E of the Idiots. I'm not even sure if that's the word. It's Sam Peterson, host of the podcast Confessions of the Idiots. Welcome back to Fofop. Thank you for having me, Charlie, and thank you for not calling me the idiot. I think that's really exciting. <laughs> the first time someone's not called me the idiot of the confessions, uh, which is great. Any bad review I've ever got, Charlie, and I'm sure. I don't know if you ever read reviews i always feel like it's a bad thing to do but my anytime i read one it's like there is one confession of the idiot and the idiot <laughs> is sammy p up. i'm like oh damn it <laughs> yeah you really did set yourself up for that i i did back are you talking like apple is this on apple or where? apple apple podcasts and yeah. yeah if i ever delve in like if i ever go really hard into any other website.com mm. Any HTTP, um, I always find that I'm really ridiculed for either my voice or for the name of my podcast, I think, at the big deal at the moment. You know, I don't actually know. I I used to – I think because TOEFOP's been around for so long, I just assume no one can be bothered reviewing us anymore. I'd be surprised (laughs) if they were in a review in five years. But I remember at the start (laughs) I was really – like back when there was like only four podcasts going, I used to read them because they were mostly yeah. positive. I imagine there would be a lot of negative ones. Now, I do remember one because I think we did an episode that was a bit like mean tweets where I picked <laughs> some of the worst ones and read them out to Will, which he did not appreciate. I think Will, no. as a live performer, as a comedian, I think he avoids uh, negative feedback as much as possible, which <laughs> I I think you should sense. as well. There's, there's, a, there's a part of you, I think, that I, I always love it when any anytime you get with someone that, that, you know, you were just talking about emceeing a gig before. Anytime someone gets together and they've done any sort of live performing, it mm. always comes up about worst gigs yeah. of all time. And I, I think when you've done some of the worst gigs ever, you actually don't actively seek out bad reviews. <laughs> like it feels like you're really going for unnecessary hurt if you start looking up, act, you know, actively yeah. looking up bad reviews. I mean, I think you know it's only going to – like no one – I guess it's the good and the bad, right? Like if you're going to look up reviews of yourself to feel good, then chances are you're going to read something that's going to make you feel bad. And I'd say for most people, it's the thing that makes you feel bad that's going to stick out (laughs) in your mind the most. So there was one review where it was like some, I don't know, like his his name was like, you know, soldier man, you know, with and he had like a union. Not soldier boy. Not soldier boy. It's like soldier man with like an Anzac kind of crest. And like, I was like, all right. And he was like, these two champagne sipping limousine liberals with their blah, blah, blah left in them. Latte sipping. Yeah. Limousine liberals. (laughs) Like, I'd never heard that before. And maybe, yeah, I just, it was just a, I'd never really thought of myself as a champagne. First of all, I don't like champagne. I don't ride in limousines that often. Imagine if that's what you and Will were doing with um with your Patreon money. You just went around exclusively in limousines. Your family are like, please, Charlie, we need food on the table. I do. I mean, have you ever left a bad like? Have you ever left a bad review for something or like on Yelp or anything like that? 
Never. Like, even if I get, you know, bad food or anything, I would never leave a review. I would never go away from a venue saying, I'm going to leave a bad review and possibly ruin this person's career and livelihood. It feels like such a weird thing to My mum was like, my mum doesn't really understand the difference between good feedback and bad feedback. And any (laughs) time. That must have been very confusing as a child. (laughs) Real bad distinction. And I remember once I was doing, and I will admit, I did one of the worst comedy festival shows of all time with comedian Greg Fleet. And look, he was out of it every night. He was he was not in a good way. And we were we were doing the show, and it was a sketch show. And look, when you look out at your fellow partner in the in the scene, and they are not um, really conscious, you kind of go, "Well, look, this is this is not going to be a good show." And my mum told me after one of the shows, she came along. She came up for the city to watch the gig and she told me after it she goes yeah I heard two two girls who came to the show two young girls and I was like oh great okay and I was like oh right okay and I never ask I always think it's a bad move to say oh what did they say because I feel like that's only asking for something I just always go oh okay like I'm I never want whatever they said. And my mum goes, they said it was the worst show they ever saw. Michael Chamberlain and I did a comedy (laughs) festival show in like 2001 or 2002 called, what is it, like some dumb title. It was was a show about professional wrestling. And I think we called it WrestleStock, as in, you know, Woodstock, like because we thought that was clever. (laughs) Great. And I remember (laughs) like it was was sort of loosely themed. Like it was like we ran it as if it was like a wrestling show, you know, like, uh, but, you know, but we made jokes about wrestling and, you know, we like we sort of did little sketches and all this kind of, it was a very niche, I don't know what the fuck we were thinking, very overconfident probably. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, the Venn diagram of crossover there would not be that big. It wasn't huge. (laughs) But we made the mistake of inviting like a local wrestling group you know, like a, in a, I think it's they're called Melbourne City Wrestling Federation or something like that. I don't know them personally, but I think they sound great. <laughs> I would never say anything bad about them. So I think Michael reached out to them and said, hey, like we're doing this show about wrestling. So, you know, you guys might be interested. And so these guys came along and it, the first night was like mostly our friends, you know, a few punters, but I'd say it was like 90% our friends, 5% punters, and then 5% these like wrestling dudes. Right. And wrestling shows like when people go to see a wrestling show like it's raucous that's part of the theater of it is you boo the bad guys you cheer the good guys there's a lot of call and response like it's it that's that's the point of it which we probably should have taken into account when we invited (laughs) a bunch of wrestlers and wrestling fans yeah to this show because as soon as it started they just started like yelling shit out and interrupting the flow and heckling but with the best of intentions, Sam. Like we couldn't really be mad at them because they weren't doing anything that they didn't think they were doing anything bad. They weren't trying to disrupt the show. That's just what happens at wrestling shows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I yeah. remember my brother had come along, my older brother, and he'd brought a mate from work and they'd had a few beers before they got there. And they were quite, you know, excited and, you know, looking forward to the show. And it was just such a fucking train wreck where we couldn't get a line out without being heckled. Shit kept going wrong. That my I turned at one point and my brother was just sitting there. <laughs> Like with his head in his hands, like he just he couldn't look. Like it was just so bad. 
And you know, remember that uh, there's that joke in The Simpsons where they go to Duff Land and it's like the the Duff Parade, and you've got the seven stages of like alcoholism sort of wandering yeah, out. Yeah. And it starts off like happy, then it's angry, then it's despondent. I watched my brother go through these like seven stages of just like happy arrived, happy despondent, and by the end he was just oh, a broken man. It was like yeah. I think maybe like he was too empathetic. He just he just saw me up up on stage dying, dying a thousand deaths, and it just it was a brutal show for him. And at the end, I, I went to say goodbye to him. And he just like he couldn't even speak. He was so embarrassed oh. on my behalf. So hard for you though as a performer, like looking out and seeing that. Like yeah. that's not a nice thing to look out and see someone with their head between their hands. Well, back when you did more stage work, did mm. you like or dislike it when you had friends oh. and family come? Absolutely hated it. Like I yeah, hated people that I knew coming along. Like and I people that I knew and loved really closely. Like it was fine when it was someone that I used to know back in the day from high school or something and they would come along. If there's enough distance. If there's enough distance, I didn't really care necessarily about what they thought. But I remember any time someone that I really cared about came, it would be the worst gig I ever had. (laughs) And it was kind of like it was kind of the – it just went without saying. It was like one time I remember going out, I've got two worst gigs if you want to hear them, uh, Charlie, and and they are really – I don't know if anyone has had a worse gig as my second gig. I I kind of think it's it's awful. And two people that I know really well came to these gigs. The first gig I went out and it was two people and the the two people absolutely hated me like they were not. They were not on board at all. They they weren't encouraging at all. They were not encouraging. And, look, it was those two people and then, like, nine comics that were on because they always seem – I always feel like if the number of comics outweigh the number of audience members, I don't think we really need to go on. And I've always been like, I don't think we need to do this tonight. (laughs) Like, let's fail as quickly as we can. But I went out and the first words out of – so I walk out before I've even said anything – a guy that one of the audience members, one of the two yells out, your shit. Like before I've ever, I I haven't even said anything. So he yells out your shit. And then in my head, I'm really positive. And I go, well, I've still got 50% of the audience. I'll just do it to that one person. And they were smiling the whole time, really lovely, but not laughing. And Uh, then not that I, you know, really expected raucous applause at that point. But then. By the way. Bold, bold heckle because you're not hiding in the crowd with that one. Like it's not like you're like, who said that? <laughs> Spotlight know? on them. And also yeah. they were there by themselves. Like that's never – I've never really understood someone that goes to a comedy venue by themselves. It sounds and like it's specifically like to he- – yeah, it sounds like that's why they went. Someone that wanted to ruin my life. And then, yeah, so it was like um, – it was like, yeah, the, your shit, and then this other person just smiling the whole time. And then I went up to them after that, after after the gig, and you know, I was like, oh, thank you for you know smiling. Like, no, no, thanks for laughing, but you know, but thank you for smiling the whole time. And they said, I don't speak English, and so that was my whole gig. And I remember the person who had come up was like my best friend who had come up to to the city. And I was like eighteen, and they were like, oh, is this and this is what you want to do? You sort of want to do this? Why did they go see a show? Hang on. I've got to, like, you can't just brush over this. There's two things are going on here, right? Firstly, if you don't speak English, why have you paid money to sit 
in the audience of a show that is probably most definitely going to be in English. Yeah. There's no Charlie Chaplin-esque uh, vibe there that night. It was all pretty much spoken word. Or So it's either it's either that or, or they're lying. They, they didn't want to hurt your <laughs> it feelings. It's so bad. Yeah. And they say, me no speaking no English. <laughs> that like feels that. likely. I think I would do the same, to be honest. I feel like I would absolutely do the same. The uh, the, the other um, bad gig, Charlie, is that uh, one time I was going on a date and they decided to come along to a gig and I was like, it's going to be it's going to be great. I was going to go and do a gig at this place um, first. So I had two gigs that night. First gig was at this bar and I was like, great, it'll be great. Come along to this one. And they couldn't make it because they just had something else, drinks with friends, and they're like, well, I'll come to the second one. And I ended up doing a gig at a trivia night. And, you know, they're mm. not great for comedy anyway, but I was like, you know, I'll, I'll go and do it. And this 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 person said they'll come along. And I went along. I was a little bit late from the other gig and the person who was organising the gig said, I won't be there, but just so you know, in between the, the trivia, we will get you up in the break and you can start doing comedy. Oh, that sounds awful. Sounds awful already. Like that sounds horrific. But, you know, a dollar's a dollar and you got to make that. you got to make yeah. that money rain. And I was like, okay, sure. And I also wanted to impress this person. So I ended up going to the gig, rock up. I'm sitting at the bar and then they go to the break. And I know that's when I'm meant to get up. But, you know, a normal person will go, wait till they introduce you. But I went, no, 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 no. The, the quicker we can get this over, the quicker <laughs> I can go home and go on a date with this person. So I ended up getting up without being introduced. I must have looked like some drunk from the bar that just got up. And because, you know, I was born with facial oh, palsy, no. so that's what a lot of my humour was at the time. I go, um, you know, I, I pretty much open a gig when, when are you going to talk about your fucked face? Um, you know, that was pretty much my, no, I mean, oh, it was smarter than that, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> but that was pretty much my gear. And I opened the gig. People are confused. They 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 mm. saw me as a drunk that got up from the bar and, you know, basically started talking and they were like, they probably thought it was still part of the trivia, you know, <laughs> the answer mm. that night was sadness and regret. And I just kept talking and talking, waiting. And I was like, got 15 minutes, I'll keep going. Got I, I got back to my seat, nothing, no standing ovation, nothing. Got back to my seat and I got a text from the person who was organising the room and all the text said was, where are you? And I was like, oh, I'm at, I'm at the gig. I just did the gig. And he said, oh, no, they're waiting for you. What? There are two bars in Melbourne with the same name. <gasps> no. The Imperial Hotel. No. I went to the wrong one. My oh. date was also at the other one because they apparently got the gig right. No. So I was randomly <laughs> at a different bar. And I thought for a second, like I actually was the oh. drunk that got up from the bar and just started My. talking. God. <laughs> but, like, also, I thought they were the worst <laughs> crowd ever. And they were like, ac- like, if you think about it, they're like the most polite crowd of all time. They wow. just sat there in stunned silence for the That is like Hoffman thing. 
esque. Yeah. Just going to a place where no one's expecting comedy and just getting up and doing this stand up routine. Not and did you say? And you said you opened by talking about your palsy. So they were just like, yeah. "Oh shit!" Like if they didn't, if they didn't know you're a comedian, they just think you're some guy has to get like this poor guy. That's right. To get this off his chest. So they just <laughs> sat there in polite silence. That is extraordinary. Yeah. And the fact you kept doing it after that is even oh. more extraordinary. <laughs> it was, I've got to get that 15 minutes. I've got to get that 15 minutes. I was just like looking at the wow. time going, it has to be 15 minutes to get paid. And it was excruciating. And anytime it I is- ever tell that story, it, it sort of trumps other people's, um, you know, I, I went to a bad gig in a footy club. It's like, no, no, I literally wasn't booked. That's amazing. It's, I mean, in a lot of ways though, it's kind of, better because you weren't meant to be there. Like it's worse if the people there are expecting to laugh because they're seeing a comedian and they don't laugh. (laughs) These people, like there's an excuse why maybe the gig didn't work. It's funny, like I I, I was talking to someone about live work because I don't really – the only time I really work live is, you know, if Will and I are doing something or if I'm, you know, guesting. Or if you're emceeing something as well. Well, this is the emceeing's only come around recently. That's a kind of funny new thing. And it was funny too because when I started – emceeing i haven't done stand-up like i said i normally do it on stage with will or with you know someone else's show or you know with michael and adam when we do our footy Mm. live show and so it's pretty safe for me like i am generally on stage with trained professionals so i just need to sit there (laughs) and just pick my moments and occasionally try and say something not stupid um but i do remember like when i dabbled in stand-up like right at the very start when i was when i was younger like just the kind of Heart, heart palpitations and the sheer terror and and I'd forgotten all about it because it's been so long since I've done any kind of like solo stage work and then I did this gig and it's funny because they sent me this script and it was mainly kind of just off the cuff kind of banter but there was some like uh, not housekeeping but you know sponsors to thank just the official kind of stuff that was the first yeah, page sure. of the script and so I memorized that because I'm like oh I want this to come off clean and I don't want to yeah. be reading off the notes because I was going to, I had to be like drilling, uh, barreling this camera while I was doing it and stuff. And I was standing there and the the floor manager was like, cause you know, they're coming to me. And as he's gone to point to me, like I had 30 seconds to go, I just completely blanked. Like I could not think this script that I'd spent a week learning. I just completely blanked. <sighs> yeah. And, and I and I and I and I, I don't know if this happened to you, but I went numb. Like I just went numb. My extremities went numb. My yeah. mouth was completely bone dry. My chest was so tight. I was like, I need, I need water. I need water. And I started having like a panic attack because because I, I, I knew it was coming. Like the train was like you know, thirty seconds. The guy's standing there with his headset ready to point to me, and I'm yeah. like, I can't remember what I'm meant to say. 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 And in my head, I'm like, do I just hand the microphone to the floor manager and say I can't do this, and just like and just try and like head for the exit, yeah. and just and then like they just came to me, and I guess thank God, you know, this, the the performer's impulse or whatever. I just spat out the first thing I needed to say. But yeah. then I had this kind of blackout moment where I don't actually remember. I was, I definitely wasn't in control of the situation. It was almost like autopilot where right. I don't even really, you know, I'd sort of rehearsed intonations and, you know, emphasizing certain things and, and this and that and thank you to this person and that person and blah, 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 and we'll be underway soon. And, and I just remember like just like being outside my own body, <laughs> just like <laughs> – and I was freaking out. Like, so they we probably went for like two minutes and then, you know, the camera went away and they, they cut to somewhere else. And I just was like there. And I had some people um, that I knew in, in the audience, there's about 800 people at this function. 
and I great you went invited to them along. Them. <laughs> no, it was a coincidence. <laughs> I saw them beforehand, and that was the thing where I was like, "Oh fuck, I don't want anyone I know to be here." Yeah, because it was a very corporate thing. And then I went to see them, and I was like, "Oh my god, I'm so sorry." And they're like, "About what?" And I said, "I just had like I just froze on camera, like I was like a deer in the headlights." Like, no, no, you look fine. Sound like you and. And I was like, oh, that must be just some kind of muscle memory thing where, like, you just have to do it. Like, I was, yeah. I was talking to, to my wife about it, and I said the closest feeling I can remember to that besides stand-up was when I jumped out of an airplane. <laughs> like, the feeling I got <laughs> as we're edging towards the edge of the plane. Yeah. And just the sheer dread, and your brain stops working. You can't cognitively function. And some, everything inside you is screaming at you. This, this is unnatural. This is going to be bad. This is the yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Good <laughs> this thing. is going to be the worst thing. I always have that with you know. I think musician friends when they go, oh, I stuffed up tonight. I didn't play as well as I thought. And you go, well, I didn't notice. You know, I'm not musically yeah. talented. I don't really know. And then I, I think it happens a lot with any sort of live performance, you know, with your emceeing or, you know, you doing any sort of comedy gig, no one really notices, but there is certainly a moment where you think this is all going so badly, like, you know, parachuting out with that and you're pulling the cord and the parachute's not coming out. I've certainly had that before where I've started a joke and not like forgotten the punchline halfway through, but finished another punchline. From another joke. So it's just like a, a non sequitur. <laughs> doesn't make any sense. And I'll kind of go, what else is happening in the news? Like, you know, like really move it along. Like, <laughs> what else? What else? <laughs> yeah, what else is going on? Like, you know, well, at I'm- some sort of gig, they're, they're really pushing you along. And it's like, no one's pushing you along. Just get out what you need to say. My brother has a hilarious story when he was studying at the, the National Theatre in, in Melbourne and St Kilda, and they did this big, like, La Very cool. Like the third, their third, I think he was like third year or something. They did a big like group performance and um, they thought it'd be really cool when the audience was coming in, like, you know, some of the cast to be on stage and, you know, frozen in position. And then my brother and two others would be out in the kind of audience in the aisles as the audience is coming to their seats. And they had this speech, this welcome speech they were going to say in sync with each other. So all three of them would be saying the same thing in sync. And, um, my brother, like the way he tells it, it's like, you know, it's all very theatrical. It's like, come here, come here. I have a story to tell. And so anyway, my brother says, like, the audience came in and he just, like, froze because all these people are coming in. And he ran up to them and he went, come here, come here. I have a story to tell. And then <laughs> completely <laughs> forgot what he was meant to say. And he could hear the others doing their bit in in, in unison. And he's, like, trying to, like, oh, yeah, and then, and then, and the Wizard of in the castle with the things to, to go. So people are just standing there like, hey, can we get to our seats? Is it okay? Like, are you That's right? so funny. There's a, there's a kind of famous aneurysm. story about um, Greg Fleet. I know I, have, I know I brought him up twice uh, on this podcast already, but I feel like I'm the most qualified to yeah. talk about Greg Fleet. And basically he did a gig that a friend of mine was telling me about. Well, you've, you, you've, got, to, you've got to hit your fleet quota. You know that. <laughs> we have, we have simply fleet must. on this podcast. Yeah, that's right. There's the sponsors yeah. for today, fleet quotas. But I, yeah. uh, <laughs> at one point he was doing a lot of Shakespeare. There's a great story mm-hmm. about him where there was a, for a Shakespearean play, there was, there was a, re, uh, a revolving set. And I think it was yeah. Wayne Hope that was on, and the the this whole set would revolve, and Fleety was meant to be on the other 
the other uh, the other side of it. And one night it revolved and Fleety wasn't there. <laughs> and, you know, he was just out. And Wayne Hope had to, like, improvise Shakespeare. <laughs> I've had a friend which, do that. Which That's is, amazing. I imagine it's the worst thing in the world. What happened with your friend? What was the Well, he the was doing he was doing the Tempest with um it's a really legendary MTC actor. I can't remember his name, it's awful. Bob Hornery. And you know, he was in his well into his seventies when right. they were doing this and and so his memory would just go. Yeah. And he would just start saying to thee, to thou, to that, you know, like he would just use Elizabethan language yeah. and just, I guess, ad lib, but just ad lib until one of the other cast members would throw the line out or, or bring him back. But, yeah, like it's a it's a particular challenge. Those stories- Improving like, Shakespeare is very tough, like thou. I think, I, think I think your second year, like, improv school person could probably do it. I think if you get an, right. if you have an ear for Shakespeare, yeah. I think Shakespeare, you can probably- ear, if you will. Thank you. Yeah, Charlie. there. Good night. Perfect. Good night, Australia. Yeah, I'm <laughs> flat. Like, I'm almost. Conv- I'm almost con- certain that there's like some Robin Williams bit of stand up where he was like, "Can you imagine if uh, William Shakespeare, yeah, uh, you know, uh, and the Terminator met and be like, hasta la vista, baby, thou else will be killed by me, you know, something like that." There is. Like, I, I, I'm doing it. I don't bring this reference up much, but there is a Family yeah. Guy clip. Uh, somewhere of uh, a person that was paid to be Robin Williams's. Or Robin Williams' eye, whatever the plural is, Robin Williams' is jumping off point. And it's a clip of a Tonight Show and just someone going, eggs. And then Robin Williams will go, eggs. And it was just like paid to be his jumping off point where he could just go on for hours with whatever that was. Robin Williams would talk about eggs for a bit and then go, seafish. And he'd go, oh, seafish. And just like, one of my It's ironic that, that, that that joke is in Family Guy where yeah. everything is a jumping off point for some. <laughs> Cutaway gag. <laughs> quick cutaway, then another quick cutaway. They're very good. I remember my, I think it's my final year of uni doing a, like it was, you know, it wasn't an entire play, but we were doing like scenes from Strindberg or something like that. Mm. And so it was just like, you know, little um, different from August Strindberg, different plays. And me and this one guy, <laughs> like I, I don't even know what play it was from, I can't remember, but the scene is like some military general being ex- like some guy c- confronts this military general and exposes him by bringing out documents which proves that you know he's not who he says he is sure. and so i was the guy you know there to expose the military general and uh you know i said to him oh no so i was playing the general and he had to expose me and so you know i'm there and i'm being all like how dare you sir you know how dare you and he's like <laughs> i know you're not who you say you are and i'm like prove it sir prove it and he reaches into his pocket and he's forgotten to bring the prop on the stage. And so he reaches to his pocket. I just see him pat around for a bit and his eyes get a bit wider. And then he's like, I can't prove it, but you know it's true. <laughs> I'm like, well, yes, yes, I guess you've got a point. <laughs> I guess you've got a point. If you say it's true, it probably is. <laughs> it's the best I could think of at the time. Well, yes, I, I guess you, you've convinced me, sir. <laughs> That's so funny. I I kind of have a look. I I kind of love things that go wrong, and that and I think uh, that's yeah. always been kind of my thing. Where even even watching magic tricks, like I I love watching magic tricks that go wrong. And there's a there's a few clips online. There's not just one, but where online I say like YouTube.com. It's on YouTube.com, <laughs> and there are there's like cups, and the, and and the person the magician has knives under the cups, and they take the audience member's oh. hand. And they hit it down 
hit it down, hit it down until you know they're obviously going to show the knife is in the last club uh, in the last cup. But there are certain ones where the knife is in the first cup or the second cup, and it is so like I've I've I actively seek out going to magic shows. Like I, I love it and I, I go along and there's nothing better to me than a shit magician. Like I can't, I can't go and watch shit comedians. I, I don't find anything funny about going to watch a shit Too comedian. Too close to home, mate. Too close to no, home. Got- I was one. <laughs> <laughs> but, there, but, there is, but there is something very funny to me about going to see a shit magician. Like that just gets all of the tricks wrong. You know, it's it's not always great to see someone being horrifically hurt through a knife through the hand, but there is something very funny about seeing a, a magician that keeps asking if this is your card and, <laughs> you know, it's 52 times and it's still not the right one. I, I, I don't know if I like seeing bad comedians either, but I do yeah. like bad comedy troops, if that makes any sense. Like oh, if you yeah. see a bad, a bad uni review. There yeah. used to be God, and and I, you know, this. I hope this is not taken the wrong way by whoever were behind this. But do you remember? In Tony the Martin, listen up. No, in the generation thousands, there was a show on Channel Thirty One mm. called the brand, not the brand. There's something the Barnaby Flowers comeback special. Oh no, do I don't know that. This? No. Okay, so Love it Channel was. 31. It was a Channel 31, you know, like student-devised Saturday Night Live. Essentially, it was live sketch comedy. They had a live audience and they would like move between sets and they would like – it was really, really ambitious. Yeah. But they were doing it off like the smell of an oily rag, you know. So the wardrobe and the the sets were all a bit dodgy. And there was also some pre-recorded sketches I I, kind of remember. But I remember just being like – like fascinated, like I would watch it, I would tape it and like watch it because it wasn't that they were, it wasn't good by any stretch and it wasn't like, uh, it was just, I was, I think I was just sort of fascinated by their commitment to something that was not, was was nothing. Like it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't really kitschy and it wasn't really funny. It was just sort of, it sort of just, it was almost just, almost like drama, like, Sounds like they the review of some- mine and Greg Fleet's show from the comedy festival a few years ago. They're, they're, um, what, did they say, what did they say? Not really comedy. Um, no. I mean, for, for a Channel 31 show as well, to be that overly ambitious and yeah. doing a live show, because it's community TV as well. Like that that's it's so hard for them. Like, were they doing live sketches? Was was yeah, that what it was? Yeah. Yeah, and it's funny because I used to like try and get my friends into it because I'm like, let's come around and, and watch this show. I said, like, it's sort of just bizarre that that that's not getting better, and it's just sort of staying the same. And I think they did like I got a feeling they did like three seasons or something. And you know, wow. that was in the era where Hamish and Andy had you know Rove and Hamish and Andy had done pilots or, you know, proof of concept type shows and then gotten on real TV. And so it sort of felt like, oh, this is like a, a golden opportunity. But yeah, it was just – and it's funny because like no one got it. Like no one got it why I was so obsessed with it. But I just like – I just loved it. I just love the commitment to kind of – this is a lot of – you know, I know how hard it is to – you know yeah. how hard it is to oh. produce a show and My front up each week. And they're, Easy. And they're doing like – yeah, <laughs> and they're doing like half an hour or maybe an hour of kind of comedy a week. Like, and you're a full time student, but 
no one really got it and no one and because it wasn't quite bad enough to be it's so bad it's good it was just (laughs) middling you know like maybe even some kernels of some good ideas but just not executed with any sophistication but i remember going to acme one day and the dude who was kind of the linchpin like the main like cast member and head writer and producer, he was serving. He was worked at the ticket booth, and I was so starstruck. Like I was oh. like, "Fuck, it's him!" Yeah, it's the yeah, guy yeah. from that Channel Thirty One show. And I kind of <laughs> got like all nervous when I had to get my ticket to whatever I was seeing at Acme because I'm like, "Do I say to him?" Because will he believe me if I say, "Hey, man, I'm a really big fan of your show." Yeah. Like I just don't know. <laughs> so. Doesn't I didn't sound say like a sledge because I, I, uh, I've got to look it up now. I'm going to see if it actually. Yeah, I'm imagining it. Because I, I started out on Channel Thirty One. Like I, oh, um, did you? Yeah, I was um, 15 years old when I, I, I first right. started on Channel Thirty One. Used to get the bus up from uh, Phillip Island to Melbourne, which was like a three-hour bus trip. And I used to contact my heroes and be like, you know, filming a sketch with Glenn Robbins or, you know, uh. Bob Franklin and people and. And, you know, Channel 31 was the place. And I used to edit together clips for Channel 31. And I used to have to send them as a DVD. And, yeah, you'd have to literally post it to them. And then they would play it off the DVD on (laughs) Channel 31. And there was some, you know, and then, you know, my mum would always want to stay up and watch my show. Like she'd always want to stay up and watch like, you know, the five minute sketch I shot with someone and, you know, and it was always, you know, the story I told about my mum before, like it wasn't, you know, necessarily encouraging, but it was like, you know, she would want to stay up and watch it and and say, oh, that was fine. Or, you know, that was, you know, you had a go and that's great that, you know, that, 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 you know, that Glenn Robbins wanted to do it or all these, all these people. But Channel 31 at the time, like watching the shows before and after, it was such, like, because it is community TV, it's like, you know, anyone can pretty much put a show on Channel 31. Like anyone that has an idea can can get a show up. But some of the shows that were on there, it was like Under the Bonnet, which was a TV show about (laughs) different blokes that would just look under someone's bonnet and talk about it for like six minutes tops, but it went for half an hour. And and shows like that that were just like, we'll just talk about things for a bit, like a real estate show that it was just people talking about a rental property. I I didn't realise there were other kinds of shows on Channel 31. I just thought it was all comedy. So there was like documentaries and- yeah, documentaries like antique sort of shows. Um, people that would just tour the country and um and and do wine tours and uh, fishing show. Lots of fishing shows on there. Um, there was a bit of um, Formula One on there. Anything wow. really? A bit of footy. I always loved watching people commentate footy that didn't know that much about footy, and I think that's how um the great Alan Partridge started. That it was like you know commentate footy when you don't really know that much about it and hey i yeah. found one of the episodes of this show oh can you God. see have you got that have yeah you got that sexology share going barnaby Flower. yeah do you want to just do you wanna, i mean i don't know if we'll get struck down this is from the rmit rmit oh, yeah rmit v yeah of course i might need to just i'm looking back on okay. this like these were my peers charlie <laughs> Am I allowed to play this? Costume factor. I'm sure you are. I'm sure there's no copyright for RMI TV. Oh my God. (laughs) That music. And now the supporting feature. 
even Sorry. even Oops, the title Oops. screens Oops. Oh, that's are me. so different. That's you and Will. <laughs> oh, no, so I didn't mean that. I was trying to turn the volume down. There's so, so many things where the, even the the opening titles are so different. Like every, it's like someone that was really excited about editing for the first time was like, let's make like six different opening titles all at once. Yeah, because of music. I, I edit, yeah, it's like some high eight video editor as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Did some cursive text at the start and then really bailed on it with the red. Okay, so that's and the white. dude. I used to John see Bennett, Acme. John Bennett, if yeah. you will. Okay, so he's posting his reviews of the show. Marvellous, okay. tremendously funny. More jokes than the Marx Brothers. John Bennett John Bennett presents. presents. This is huge. John Bennett Ramsey. <laughs> Barnaby Flowers, they have the sponsor? I don't know if this is the actual show. No. Written, directed and produced by John Bennett. Starring. Oh, Craig, Here we go. I, know, I knew one of those guys, I think. Was it Craig right. Anis? Because that's a great name. Yeah, I think he was a VCA guy. I think he went to the VCA. The... Oh, here we go. Here's a sketch. The guys too. Too good. Just, just too good, Nick. John. Okay. John Bennett Pause? is John Bennett, who I was thinking of. Oh, you know who this guy is. So John Bennett is one of the greatest storytelling comedians I've ever seen. John Bennett tours nonstop, doing shows like um, uh, pretending things are cocks. And he will do what? a whole show basically about pretending things are cocks and people send things in and he does a whole show about it. And he also does a show about his brother who was, you know, I relate to it. His brother was a, a drug addict and, and, and homeless for a bit. And his brother, it was like this um, drug addict who really made his life, a, you know, a, a difficult situation. But he tells these incredible stories about his brother and that's John Bennett. And I used to do storytelling nights and stand-up nights with John Bennett and I had no idea that, that this John is Bennett where he was started. In, yeah, in sexology, Barnaby uh, Flowers, Bumper Bonanza F one. This this seems def- different. This is not this is not the live thing that I remember. <laughs> right. The thing that I remember was like Saturday Night Live. And this is this say, is clips of maybe this is clips of that, them doing it. Was, like pre recorded. Okay, so that's his Barnaby Flowers Bumper Bonanza. This is. But Barnaby Flowers comeback special. I think that's something. Where's Wally? Okay, Barnaby, where's Wally? Should we look at yeah, that? Yeah, comeback special. This is going to be huge. Okay, this is June 2009. One good nets. Here we go. Right, Vimeo, higher quality. Yeah, I'm ready. Always. I'm always ready. The question on everybody's lips is where's Wally? Of course. The elusive individual, unseen for 10 years, is reported to be behind this very door. So, with the question being where's Wally, let's find out. If he's not dressed as Wally or you can't see him, but he's on an ocean beach somewhere, I'd love that. (laughs) Oh, it's Wally's a bloody bogan. (laughs) Good premise. Good premise. (laughs) Hello, uh, Mr. Wally, I believe. You aren't guys from the cops, was the question. <laughs> no, no, we're not. We are doing a special report. Uh, Mr. Wally, if we could ask you a few questions. Uh, uh, by the way, it, what is, this? is that your wife, Wenda? No, shut up. Look, I don't want to be in it. Leave us alone. Not anymore. Mr. Wally, just a little it's a pretty good premise. A couple of questions. Right. Mr. Wally. <laughs> it's pretty good. 
You were last seen in Egypt. Get out of my house! You have been spotted in the jungle as well. Oi, get out! Mr. Wally! All right, we get it. It's a current affair if they were trying to track down Wes Wally. But that, I mean, that seems to be an improvement on what I remember. Right. So you were thinking it was pretty much a, a Saturday Night Live where they're actually filming it all live on a set. Yeah, like I'm just trying. I can't see any videos. I don't think. No, that's it. That's just there is four Barnaby Flowers videos online. That wow. is, that was one of them. Where's Wally? And then the sexology, which is, seems different. Yeah. Barnaby Flowers obviously became like their kind of uh, Monty Python troop. Right, but I think, yeah, I I find it so interesting that they really, you know, put together these sketches and everything and then just went, let's just do it live because it's so much harder, I imagine, to to really write and construct sketches live. Like I've never done, you've obviously done it with um, Chambo, like you've you've put together sketches. Well, no, that was more... Sorry for asking. Oh, so, well, we, we sort of did like a, a play. We wrote right. a play that had sketches within it, like okay. little kind of, you know, like tangents and stuff that I guess were sketches. But it was all themed around like, I mean, I'm, I'm, it's only, I'm, there's only one show I can think of. It was like, well, the, the wrestling thing was kind of, again, it was there was a theme to it. It, was a, it, it wasn't live sketch comedy. Like yeah. what they do on Saturday Night Live, I mean, Saturday Night Live is one of those low return High yield, low return kind of shows. Like mm-hmm. we all remember the sketches that really land. Yeah, you, you know. Then you remember it's been on here for like forty years, and they do, you know, however many shows a year with that many cast members. Yeah. Like, when you look at it from a probably percentage of oh, what are the classic sketches, it's low. Yeah. It's low. And <laughs> yeah, when you sure. watch that, they're not live. You're like, oh, geez, this is you know, there's seven minutes to go in this. I bet. And like, it's just some of those, some of their. Um, you can tell when some of their sketches are just relying on the absolute charisma, you know, of the person carrying it, like a Jason Sudeikis or, sure, you know, yeah. earlier when it was like Adam Kirsten Sandler Wink. or whatever it's like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just like, it's just them being magnetic is what they're relying on. Yeah. Like I was talking before about uh, one, because I love Liza Minnelli and there was this an amazing TikTok that went around for for a while and it was like basically – Liza Minnelli was opening her door at an event and there was paparazzi there and you go, you know, you're Liza Minnelli, what do you do in a situation like this? And people are going, take a photo, take a photo, take a photo. And instead of just saying hello, Liza Minnelli did what she did best in that situation and she sang a song. And, look, I'm no singer, but she's the door opened and Liza Minnelli went, Deo! Daylight come and and the the paparazzi that was taking the photo goes, oh okay, because there were you know it just wasn't expected. Like there was no expectation of Liza Minnelli singing this song. And then is this real Liza Minnelli or Liza Minnelli from Arrested Development? No, this is this is real Liza Minnelli. And okay. she the you know the the paparazzi is going okay, and then. She goes, <laughs> like, that's what you wanted. Like, I'm just giving you what yeah. you wanted. And Liza Minnelli, there is an amazing sketch on SNL with Kirsten Wig that does an impression mm. of Liza Minnelli turning off a lamp as she's leaving. Is it Kirsten or Kristen? Kristen. Oh, ma- oh my goodness. Maybe it's Kristen Wig. It might Wig. be Kristen. Kristen or Kirsten yeah. Wig. 
Siri, look that up. There's a Kristen Kristen or Kirsten. I'll ask my assistant to look it up. But it is, there's a sketch about it and it's all about Kristen. Kristen Wiig, it's all all about turning a lamp off and can't really work (laughs) it. And the sketch itself isn't really that funny. But it's about it's about Liza Minnelli leaving her house and she needs to turn a lamp off because she needs to go to the premiere of Cats. And there's nothing necessarily funny about it apart from Kirsten Wig talking like being that that wonderful in the role, being that great at what she does, being Liza Minnelli. But I can't <laughs> remember a sketch that I've really gone, that's really funny. <laughs> like that's that's they've nailed it. That's really funny. It's a it's a sketch that will stand the test of time. Like there's maybe Cowbell. I, I love Cowbell yeah. with with uh, Christopher Walken and Will Ferrell. There's certain yeah. sketches that 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 stand out. But I've there's, never watched a full episode. Yeah, I mean, I'm probably the same. I, when I used to work in a video store, like they had the best of Saturday Night Live. Yeah. There was one sketch I remember. Like I think my favorite era was kind of like the Chris Farley, uh, Chris Rock, yeah, Adam Sandler era. And there was this one sketch where it was like this alien, this UFO had landed in Central Park, and you know the and, and you know crowd had assembled, and this SWAT team had turned up, and there it was all the you know as all the the performers as like the macho like SWAT team members, and they're all like got their commando gear on, and they're going to charge in, and they're going to fuck up, you know these aliens will take them down, Sarge, and like, Chris Farley's the first one to run in, and then you hear this like scuffle and he comes out like his helmet's been knocked off and his shirt's been ripped and he's all like oh oh no guys we should go we should go and then like david space like no way i'm gonna kick some alien ass and so he runs in there and you hear like him screaming and yelping and he comes out and he's just in his underpants with bitch written across his chest and <laughs> lipstick and it's like oh nothing happened there no they didn't, they didn't anal probe me no they didn't anal probe me and then one by one each of these like swat team members being sexually assaulted i'm assuming by these aliens and it was like this premise is insane and yeah. going on for way too long, but it's really, really funny. It's good stuff because I <laughs> I grew up with you know when I so I'm I'm thirty I'm about to turn thirty one, and I, anyone that is around that age that loves comedy grew up with Skit House Comedy Inc. with the with the oh big ones God. in Australia. And that's the um, big bloody oh. like age difference between you and I, like because <laughs> I knew people who made Skit House and like yeah. really that, you that influenced people because was yeah, Chambo right. on Chambo was on Skit House wasn't he yeah. and you know yeah, yeah, um, yeah. homosexual performer Scott Brennan which is what I call him I don't think anyone else calls him that homosexual <laughs> performer Scott Brennan Genevieve Morris was on uh, Comedy Inc Emily Tahini yeah. Scott Brennan was also on on Comedy Inc Jim Russell yeah there was a little revival. Like because I was on Big Bite. I was on the Channel 7 one. Oh, the, uh, right, with the, Chris Lee and Andrew yeah. O'Keefe. Yeah, it's funny, actually. So Michael Michael Chamberlain, Charlie Pickering, and I were working at this production company, and they were they kind of were just like – they were this commercial production company, but they kind of were sort of backing us to make a comedy pilot. So they just gave us an office and free access to all their, their gear. Wow. And so we kept making things, and initially they were like, you know, they were helping us go out and try and pitch. And one, the guy who owned or used to own the company was really ahead of his time. He had this idea that maybe people would watch videos on the internet, and so he wanted to like – During the dot-com boom, he was <laughs> yeah. like, oh, why don't we go around and say we'll make content for people, video content for them, and, you know – and it was so funny. Some people were like, that'll never work. People watch videos on their televisions. They don't watch videos <laughs> on their computers. But um, 
they eventually had to sort of let us go because it was just costing them money and, and we weren't sort of nailing anything. And so the very last thing we made was this sketch comedy pilot um, that, you know, Michael and Charlie really were, they did the bulk of the writing and stuff. And then yeah. I was sort of, I wrote a couple of sketches, but it was mainly a performer and we roped in, you know, Kate McCartney and a few other friends to act in it. And that got, uh, that got sent to Channel 7. And so we did this big workshop and it was like me and Kate and Charlie and Michael initially, but then Michael got poached to Skit House and then Charlie, I think Charlie got a diff, got a job, maybe some Triple J or, or something else. So it was just really me and a couple other Cam Knight and Chris Lilly and all these people. And so we made this sketch show. And I remember when we were making it, being like, "Oh God, I don't think this is going to work." Like it just seemed really broad and on the nose, and it just uh, like I couldn't, I was, I couldn't see objectively how it was going to be good. And then. Also, I wasn't in that much of it because I got McLeod's daughters at the time. So I was going off to Adelaide to shoot McLeod's yeah, daughters yeah. and coming back to play like an extra essentially on Big Bite. I was still in the cast photo and stuff, but I was just I didn't really have any lead parts. Right. The one role, the one role I created was I did a pretty good Russell Crowe impression. Yeah. And so I pitched this sketch to everyone, which is like it's Russell Crowe just monologuing wherever he goes. He just like walked into a cafe. Because it was after – remember he did that Oscar speech? And yes. then at the BAFTAs yeah, yeah, he got yeah. like – he beat up a producer who cut him off. So we had this like joke that he's just this pretentious guy just like, you know, he's going to read you his poetry. You know, g'day folks, how's it going? And so <laughs> – but I, that was so. That was my. That's the 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 character. That was my character. I was Russell Crowe. Mm. Um, but then I went off to do McLeod's daughters, and they gave it to Andrew O'Keefe, <laughs> and so he he got my character. That was my con the fruiter. That was my meal ticket, baby. <laughs> um, Your con the fruiter. But the, those yeah. those shows though, like I as a as a kid that grew up in you know on, on Phillip Island and ages away, you always felt like it was so far-fetched to even move to Melbourne. Watching mm. those shows like Big Bite, uh, The Wedge, uh, <laughs> you know, like Skit House <laughs> and um, Comedy Inc., they were my big shows that I, w- I would watch mm. and I just loved. I just loved everyone that was in those shows. Like, and it is so yeah. Interesting to me. It was the same for us when we were, when like for our generation, it was fast forward, D-Gen. Yeah. Like, yeah. So I guess it just, it goes in waves. Yeah. Now it's just all about TikTok. Yeah, exactly. And D-Gen wasn't, wasn't something that I ever watched. You know, D-Gen was kind of before I, you know, I started watching that stuff, but you, but for me, it was, you know, all of those like comedy ink and everything. And it was like, it, it's interesting to me to see that, that that thing doesn't really exist in Australia mm. anymore, apart from like Auntie Donna. And, and, and there aren't that many people now that inspire that next group of people that want to do sketches. Because people are so, but that's because people, it's been democratized to a point where like people are so good yeah. at social media sketches. Like, Every day I feel like I see something that's like, that's fucking brilliant. And it's someone yeah. shot it on their iPhone, yeah. cost nothing. It's just a really good idea, you know, well executed. And speaking to an audience that I think I'm a little bit out yeah. of touch with. Yep. Like it's funny, um, a podcast Mike was sort of suggested to us a while back, why don't you get like a TOEFOP TikTok? And I'm like, oh, I don't know, man. Tiff, like, I feel like, I've, like We can work on that. We can workshop that. TikTok. TikTok. We can workshop it. Tick tock. Tick top top. And so um I, I downloaded it onto my phone 
And I'm like, oh, this is scary and weird. I don't understand it. But then I started watching the videos. I'm like, man, there's like fucking 15-year-olds doing like much better sketches on this on this 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 platform than I could ever like think to do. I just my brain does not operate in that way. And then I remember watching some YouTuber like in his, you know, probably your age in his like late twenties, early thirties, and he like he was doing like a uh, like a um what are they oh, called? Yeah, like yeah. a reaction video to like the wor- the worst <laughs> TikToks. And it was like this guy like my age, like, you know, doing a funny dance or something. And he was like, dude, you're too old to be on TikTok. If you're over 35 and you're on TikTok, look at your life, question your life choices. And I'm just like, fuck, that's, <laughs> that's that. I mean, he's right talking now. to me. Yeah, I, I get it yeah. because like you kind of go vines were a thing for a bit like then. And YouTube was so oh, big. Of course, yeah. Vines. Oh, Vine. All of a sudden, it's like you know, TikTok is a new big thing, and I feel so old with all of that. I feel like there's no, no hope for me on TikTok.com, if they call it that. But yeah. there is, there, you know, it, it feels like it's such an unknown world, and there are so many people that do amazing sketches on TikTok all the time. There's people that just have all these references that you know, and then there's a new dance that takes off every single week but mm. it's so hard to there's one at the moment of people dancing and there's someone's trying to stab someone with something and they keep moving their body to not hit that thing whatever and i just don't get it and i watch it and it's yeah, every third it? clip that either. comes up it's that same sound bite because maybe i watched three seconds of that Whatever that was, because trying to work it out, and now the algorithm is telling me you love that, and it's like I don't love that. It just keeps popping up all the time. Yeah. It's, too, it's too hard, Charlie. I get exhausted. It is too hard. It's but it's also just like I feel like, what's the point in trying anything? Depressing. <laughs> chat. Someone's done. Yeah. Something what is the point? Similar. So someone's either done something yeah. similar, and done it really well, and so your thing's going to look stale, or they've done it badly. So it just proves that the idea yeah. doesn't work. Well, <laughs> so that, why that's try the anything? Thing, like I, I remember when like um, like The Office first came out, and people were like, "Oh, it's it's like a Christopher Guest film," you know, and and then Chris Lilly did mm. his thing, and it was like, "Well, you know, that's um, that's like the the Office," and I, I just always remember there's those. There's those moments where people keep getting caught in you're ripping off that person, you're ripping off that person. Yeah, yeah. As if there's no influences in the world. Yeah, yeah. And and now it kind of feels like with TikTok, like there's that same thing. But it also feels like sometimes, like I remember the worst thing in the world was to plagiarize a joke in stand-up. It would be like, that's actually the worst thing you can do is is, is plagiarize a joke, like to go on stage right. and say a joke that someone else has said. Like that's yeah, yeah. You know, that's it, like that in comedy world. That is like the that's the greatest sin because greatest I, I knew sin. that because as, as I started to meet more and more comedians, yeah, every comedian accused at least one other comedian of being a, being a joke. Thief. It's like it's yeah. the one thing that they all like level against each other. And I'm like, it's either all true or it's not true. Yeah. <laughs> like you can't all be fucking joke thieves or you all are joke thieves. Or, that's right. Or, my my thing was always if someone starts making a joke about facial palsy, I'll know within a second. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's that was always. If you my ever thing. hear, <laughs> yeah. If you ever hear about anyone doing it a gig at a pub yeah. that has a an, a pub with the same name, you're like, hey, that's my gig. Yeah, that's right. If Dilrock Jai Singer's doing a joke about it growing up with facial palsy, I'll know exactly what's <laughs> going on there. But yeah, for I, I guess you know, joke thievery is such a thing. But 
then then places like Twitter, you know, mm, Twitter oh, exists and, and 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 so does TikTok. And it's such a it's such a funny thing because I guess there is a lot of joke thievery now and there is a lot of that where it's like, you know, those people take it so seriously and that's their world and they and they've created something that is quite important to them and that's how they respond to things but but it, it kind of feels like that's more of an issue now than it's ever been before because people are so online now whereas back in the day if you if you ripped off a joke from a comedian that was ages away i don't i don't imagine there would be that same impact that it has now and people calling out people for all of that yeah well you know it's funny like um I think about uh, – well, it's not just like uh, like like plagiarism, but the idea of kind of um, taking a format that's worked somewhere else and applying it. Like it used to be – do you remember like Tonight Live with Steve Weissard? Like maybe you're a yeah. bit young, but when that show well, started – Yeah, we I, remember, I remember hearing about it, yeah. But I remember like seeing it going, oh, wow, it's like it, – it's this acerbic host – and his band leaders kind of got a personality as well, and they do wacky sketches and stunts and celebrity interviews. This is amazing. And then I see Dave Letterman. I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay. So you basically just stolen like Dave Letterman, like everything about that makes Dave Letterman. But now I feel like because it's such, it's so diluted and there, it's so democratized that you can pretty much have like ten of the same thing as long as they're different enough. Yeah. In terms of their focus or their audience, that's like, well, you know, there's every how many fucking like it, there's panel shows or there's sketch comedy or there's it's yeah. just what flavor of that thing you want. Like, I don't yeah. think you can sort of, and unless you know the wording is exactly the same, you can, I don't think you can hold against someone stealing your format. You know, like yeah, because I think that's what we do, right? We kind of imitate then innovate. Um, Absolutely. When I when I first started um, stand up, I imitated um, Fiona Lachlan. Um, you know, I'd always talk about my five kids at home, <laughs> lol. But, I, but you know, I always emulated those those people. Like, you know, like my heroes were Judith Lucy and Fiona Lachlan. So, of course, you're going to go. And, and and Will Anderson, like, you know, they were the big three. I've heard of him. Three. Yeah, you've met him. But, there was, you know, but growing up on, you know, a country town, it was kind of like Will, Judith, Fiona were, were my big – the ones that resonated with me. And then when you go to a comedy room, you start to go, well, I'm going to emulate one of them. And Fiona's mannerisms, the way that she laughed while she was telling the jokes and you pick up on that and that becomes your thing or will, you know, like mm. there are so many great comedians that you obviously just start to emulate and think to find your voice, you're going to have to go through so many other voices to find yours. And that feels like the way it is for a lot. I think when a lot of my mates <clears throat> got into my com got into comedy in the early two thousands, I would see a lot of kind of like Eddie Izzards. There was a lot of Eddie yeah. Izzarding where it was like that kind of yeah. you know that way of speaking and the flight to fancy and you know there was a real like I, I guess you know comedy's like it moves in trends. You know, there's a style of doing comedy. <laughs> but yeah, then all those comedians now obviously have their own voice. But it's like, I, yeah, it makes sense. Like, it feels safe to get up and do something that you know kind of works or what you know you've seen, you're totally. imitating. And then yeah. it's, it's like, you know, people forget Lady Gaga's first album, uh, Sam, was very cooker, <laughs> like cookie cutter pop. It's straight ahead, just right. dance, you know. 
it wasn't till like the second album she got the meat dress out because you've got to just sort <laughs> right. of got to let people know that it's safe to come into the water and then you fucking yeah. bring out the meat dress. <laughs> is this metaphor, could that be any more clumsy? <laughs> Wait for the meat dress. Yeah, because it is It is so, I think to be, especially to be a stand-up today, I, I kind of feel like there's a, I think TikTok is a huge thing. I think Twitter's a huge thing. And I always kind of go, well, you know, to be a comedian that's now going, I have to tweet all the time and get out jokes and everything where it used to be, well, you know, work on your best jokes and actually do them at a comedy club and see if they work. But now it's like, you know, Twitter is a thing, TikTok is a thing, finding your voice and actually going through with that and going, well, I've got to be this person on this, I've got to be this person on this. It seems exhausting. Like it seems like if you're going to have a TikTok, a Twitter You've got to have an Instagram that you regularly update. You've got to have a, you know, Facebook.com, you know, not a plug for Facebook.com, but you've got to, you've got to have never heard of all of these things. Never heard of them. You're going to, you're going to have all of these things that work for different reasons and mm. advertise you for who you are. And there are so many amazing people that have made that work for them and that world work for them. But if you're not, you're kind of going, well, I have to put this up on TikTok. I have to do this. I have to do that. And, you know, I don't know about you, Charlie, but I'm very sick of seeing people do uh, comedian, no, heck, comedian destroys heckler mm. because, you know, that's like, you know, a heckler yelling out something and the comedian going, why don't you shut up? Like, <laughs> it's always that same thing of going, well, we know what works. Yeah. We know what works in comedy. It's always, you know, shutting someone down or a roast or something. Yeah. But, I, want, I, I, I do wonder about that and, and, and comedians that feel like now they have to do you think have it's a TikTok con- and regularly upload videos. Do you think that specific thing of like this comedian destroys blah, 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 feminist, comedian destroys <laughs> yeah. heckler, do you think it's contrived <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. as in they're like, oh, this will make, will make good content? Oh, so. 100%. There's, right. a, there's, a, there's a lot of people I've seen that put up videos where the heckler's like, talk more about eggs. And then the comedian has a bit about eggs. Like, you're just like, what is this? You know, that's just, not a heckle, Charlie. That's never happened. No, I'm just like, I want to be at <laughs> yeah. the comedy show with heckler's like, talk more about eggs. And the comedian gets eggs. stumped. The comedian just br- has yeah. a nervous breakdown. It's like, he just, it's the greatest heckle. How do you fucking yeah. fend, fend off that one? Talk hey, about Hughes, eggs. Have you got anything more about s- snakes alive? <laughs> it's like that classic. But it, it is, like it, it feels like it's that now, and it also feels like it would be so hard to be a comedian to, you know, especially did, I mean, just a comedian starting out mm-hmm. to go. Do you have to have a TikTok? Do you have to have a Twitter? Do you have yes. to have all of this stuff to make yeah. you popular and to make you stand it's out? Not just because it's it, not it just not just fucking comedians. It's like anyone in the entertainment industry. Oh, like, anyone. Yeah. My wife, when exhausting. she was in the states casting, she was in pre-production for this feature film it never ended up happening in the end but when they were being presented cast they were being presented their social media followings as part uh, as part of the uh, wow. selection process so it's like yeah like they're a good actor and you know they've done these are their credits but it's also this one can bring in like you know seven hundred fifty thousand followers so it's like it's a consideration for sure yeah and that, and that that kind of feels odd in its own, it's in its own right that that now it's like you know what audience can we capitalize on and what what can we make work because that you know the best comedians usually aren't that great at you know waking up you know on time and and you know and the, the best comedians have always got their kind of 
own things going on and uh, doing their own things. And mm. a lot of the geniuses, you know, the rock stars of comedy that we've seen come before, uh, you know, aren't going to be coming up with the best TikToks and aren't going to be coming up with the best tweets. So you wonder what that what that world is now. That's okay. And I, I mean, that, that's it's happened, fine. But it's happened, you know, like when I guess like uh, TV came about and then, you know. Like, sure. I mean, I can't remember Honey Jacks. the TV. <laughs> And then, yeah, but then you know, YouTube, like you brought up Auntie Donna, like they live so perfectly yeah. on YouTube. Like, I love their show on yeah. Netflix, Big Big Old House of Fun, but they're also so good at YouTube, like, they're just they're really, oh really God. good. Amazing. And I think that you know, you're talking about the TV shows that influenced you. Well, you're guaranteed there's some 15 year old at Phillip Island watching you know, Auntie Donna videos going, I want to do that, I want to do that, and hopefully, oh, yeah. they do. Yeah, I, I know so many people that love auntie donna and just think that they're the best thing that's ever existed and you know i'm a patron for them i i love them i think they're just incredible and i hope that there is someone that you know grows up with facial palsy charlie that just loves you know well if there isn't (laughs) go give them facial palsy i don't know if that's even possible but we'll just it's a spell it's a witch's spell (laughs) but then be the then you know you you hope that there is the 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 same people that that grow up with auntie donna that that grow up with all the people that you know that that you and I grew up loving. Like who who was for you that that you realised that you wanted to be you know in comedy uh, with Chambo? I mean, was Chambo the first person that you did comedy with? Yeah, yeah. So Michael yeah. and I, or yeah, Michael kind of got into it first. He was doing like uni yeah. reviews and stuff, and then he invited me to this production company to write sketches with, and that's where we met. Well, I met Charlie Pickering, and Michael already knew yeah. him. So that's kind of where we got into it. But we always liked like Monty Python. Like, that's still big. Mm. In fact, you know, you, we did an episode, like a few episodes on TOEFOP. There's some artwork behind me, which is like the Monty Python TOEFOP artwork where Gemma yeah. and I, during the lockdown, we just went back and watched every, you know, there's like seven Python documentaries. And that's what I yeah. loved as a kid. And things like the goodies and stuff. But then as we got older, DGen was like the gold standard. We sort of thought yeah. that the comedy company – was a bit naff, you know, it was just like it was very broad yeah. and, you know, aimed at like a younger audience it felt like. Fast Forward was good in the early yep. years. Um, but, yeah, D-Gen was <clears> – <throat> that was the cool kids comedy. It was on the ABC. They are a bit more anarchic. It just seemed a bit a bit smarter. And then that sort yeah. of dovetails into the shows they made like Frontline and and um, even like Funky Squad. I've got a real soft spot for Funky Squad. It was probably considered one of their failures, but I really dug Funky Squad. It's very good. Yeah. Um, and then, so I, but I never really got massively into stand up. Like, that's when sort of I separated from those guys because I was more interested in the performance side of things, like acting and stuff. And whereas they yeah. seemed pretty set on doing, doing stand up. I tried a couple of gigs. And like I said, it was just, you know, the most paralyzing kind of experience. I don't yeah. think I was very good at it. Um, but I am, you know, I am sort of, I'm sort of coming full circle in a way where it's like, you know, Will and I are talking about doing live shows again. We intended to do a big live tour for TOEFOP before the pandemic started yeah. and then obviously that got sidelined. But I'd be interested to sort of see, now I'm a middle-aged man, you know, what – there's a difference. Like, you know, in your early 20s or mid-20s when you're trying comedy, there's a lot of not knowing yourself and I think mm. a lot more um, – What's the word? Like frontage? You're just sort of like- Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like yeah, you say- well, you're, you're really you're, trying, yeah. Yeah, and you're impersonating the 
the people that you grew up idolizing and you may be holding opinions that you don't really believe in, but you think they're cool opinions. <laughs> like that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I, th- I think something happens and maybe, uh, uh, Sam, this will happen to you when you get to my advanced age, but you just get a lot more comfortable in your own skin. And so I'm quite keen to get back on stage because I would like to challenge myself to be as myself as possible. Because I yeah, think that yeah, yeah. as I've done live performance over the years, I'm getting more like not – plays but like you know comedy and and comedy type things that i'm getting more comfortable with it like yeah you know that fear of oh i have to be funny you know like i have to kind of like spit things out rather than just naturally finding the comedy because that's you know there's a have you seen that gary shandling documentary the gary oh i love it yeah yeah yeah, so much it's such a beautiful beautiful documentary not just about comedy but about life and and that's essentially where he was trying to get to with his stand-up was like, you know, it's it's not a performance in the end. Like when you're really being brave and when you're really unguarded, like there is this honesty. It's about sort of separating that sort of artifice of like I am the comedian, you are the audience. And yeah, I'm not suggesting for a second I'm anywhere near that, but the principle of that, which is like I am enough, you know, yeah. I'm going yeah. to just – I trust – that I, I can be funny and that I have something to say and that, you know. So, yeah, I'll be interested to see when we get back on stage. Like if I feel like maybe that's just the the, the way I'm thinking about it, but then I'll get on stage like, oh, here's, here's some jokes I thought of, you know. I prepared these earlier. <laughs> Quick fire jokes. <laughs> yeah, just Well, just I'm, I'm excited to see you two get up on stage again. And and, and also like um, do you think that the – because, I'm you know, I'm a big supporter of um, – of the Jane documentary <laughs> from from Five Five Eyes is yeah. that is that do you think that could possibly well, happen? Because spo- I'm a big supporter of that. S- spoilers, but Will and I have been banking Tofop episodes because I'm I'm yeah. about to head overseas and he's starting his new show. Um, and we read out your question about the Five documentary. Oh right, so oh, huge. I don't want to get into it too much. I don't spoil it, but uh, we do explore the idea of what that documentary might be. Um, so for people oh, who amazing. aren't listening. There's an episode. It's a of great plug. And- <laughs> Good forward sell, as I would say in commercial radio. Yeah, great yeah. forward sell. You can go back to old episodes of Tofop. There is about I don't know, ironically about five episodes of Tofop. Hey. Which- <laughs> is it more than five? Maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah. Five Ive. There's more than five Ive episodes of the five. Um, yeah. Beautiful saga that because I, can- I I I love five and I was such a big supporter of that. Um, <laughs> Because I'm, 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 I'm honestly a big fan of Five, and Five have been around through my childhood, and I yeah. they've love got, them. They've got like some genuinely good songs. <laughs> like I am when the not, lights go out, I'm like it's, it's so good. And I watched, I watched that documentary after you spoke about it. Oh, like, yeah. You know, straight away, the big reunion. I, one? I love it. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, big yeah. reunion, and I loved it. I thought it was so funny and so funny to watch. And oh, you know what? what? I like. Sorry, I'm just going to say this because it's it's actually late and and we're being recording yep. and I have had no sleep. But let's do this again and yep. let's talk about the big reunion because I would love yeah, to break it down. I would love with to. You. Let's yeah, just yeah. like look it's, at some look at some clips and we'll yep. like talk about it because there's so much to talk about and I think Will humors me <laughs> a lot of the time. <clears throat> but it is I late. I would love to. It is yeah, late yeah. and we have been talking for a long time, but I do want to get this into you. So, Sam, I'm going to get you back yeah, on. We're going great. to do a big reunion, five eye, <laughs> yeah. a, a deep five I would dive. love that. <laughs> Anytime I'm ready, I'm ready. <laughs> and so if people want to listen to Confessions of the Idiots, give them some info. Oh, yeah. So you can you can go onto any podcast app that you're on. You can go Confessions of the Idiots. There is a live show. If you're in Melbourne coming up uh, with Missy Higgins, 
uh, Peter Hitchener, Oliver Clark, Jess Perkins, and Dave Lawson, um, the most regular guests on the podcast ever, Dave Lawson. I just read out regular um, online confessions from reddit.com. People pick them apart. Uh, Charlie's been on. Uh, Will's been on. It's uh, it's a lot of fun, and that is happening. It's a sold-out show, but you can go on the waiting list if there are extra tickets Good available stuff. at commonrepublic.com.au. And also, I'm a part of a Stupid Old Podfest, which is happening really soon. It's a fundraiser for the wonderful studio, Stupid Old Studios. Uh, Broden Kelly, Nick Mason, and Michelle Brazier are my guests for that one. Uh, that's happening on the 9th of October. It's be a lot of bloody fun. It's just a live podcast, but you watch it from your home. So it'll just wow. be fun. It's a Get fundraiser event. Get me so on your next on. live. Yeah, one. yeah. I, I want to do. I I'd love do you too. That'd be so much fun. I'd love that. That'd be amazing. Um, uh, lock it in now. <laughs> Sam, thanks so much for. Uh, I'm so tired. I was going to say thanks so much for yeah. seeing me today. <laughs> thanks so much for doing this show. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Sammy Pay. 